Conversation reparations, conversation reparations, conversation reparations. Conversation reparations is brought to you by INCOBRA, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America, every first and third Monday. We are, again, excited to bring you our next program today, where we will be honoring one of our great reparations ancestral warriors, Baba Dr. Conrad Worrell. So we have several guests lined up. I know at least one of them are on the call right now. We have the we have Dr. Raymond Winbush, who is a longtime activist with uh, scholar activist um, in the reparations movement, the reparations front, and other issues as well, as well as written the book um, America Should America Pay, as uh, editor of that book, as well as now a uh, at-large board member of INCOBRA. So we welcome him to the call. How you doing, Dr. Wimbush? Are you muted? Can... I'm, I'm, hello, can you hear me? We can hear you now. Okay, sorry about that. Good, good evening. Good to be here. Good evening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right. Well, what I thought we would do, I was thinking this is such a powerful piece that I thought we should save it. Now, I said, no, let's start out with it. Um, that we're going to uh, listen to uh, uh, his daughter, Femi, um, Dr. Conrad World, at his homegoing ceremony. I think this is an important piece because it kind of gives a good foundation for the type of character uh, of Baba that world. So we'll listen to that piece, and on the other side of that, we'll let you um, give some reflections, um, Brother Winbush, and hopefully our other guests will be coming in as well. All right? Okay. So very much like my father, talking is something that's always come very naturally to me. But in this season of my life, I found myself struggling to find the words that will be significant and special enough to honor my dad. And without a doubt, my father's legacy 
speaks for itself. I can spend a lot of time providing a long biographical historical sketch of all of his life's accolades. However, I find it most fitting today not to speak about Dr. Conrad Oreo, but I would rather speak to you about my dad. And at most final life celebrations, speakers usually highlight all of the nice characteristics of their loved one. But this just would not be fitting for my dad. And if you're sitting in this room or if you're listening virtually, then you know that my dad was a handful. My daddy was a handful. And he had absolutely no problem letting you know what he was thinking. He stood his ground about what he believed in, and he talked in a way that demanded attention from the audience. He had a special knack for captivating people and for getting them to think critically about the important matters related to the Pan-African community. When my dad spoke, people listened. And he had a special way of educating people through the art of storytelling. In my opinion, some of the stories about his high school athletic days were embellished. And I told him that quite often. And then he would just move on to the next story of his great days at Hyde Park High School. And if you've ever spoken to my dad for more than 30 seconds, you've been asked a series of questions. What high school did you go to? What college did you go to? Who are your parents? <laughs> when I was younger, I thought he asked these questions to be nosy. But then, as I got older, I realized that as a master historian, scholar, and strategist, my dad used this information as part of the historical archives that he stored in his brain. I was amazed at his aptitude for dates times, and places. But more amazingly, he always seemed to know somebody once you answered all of these questions for him. The man knew everybody. And I do mean everybody. And while many people were impressed with his strange, extreme levels of intellect, at times it would just be too much there were times when I would call him and I would preface the conversation with, Dad, I have a question, but I do not want a dissertation, so please just give me a brief answer. And he would say, well, Femi, why would you call me then if you didn't have time to listen? And then we would argue because, well, we love to argue with each other. And that's just how we love each other. And I would say, Dad, just give me the answer, please. And he would comply. But within two days, he would call me back, and he would still give me the dissertation-length answer 
to my original question. He was going to get his way, and that was just that. My dad was not much of a traditional gift giver. He didn't have time for what he would say, white folks, stuff like that. But he used his gift of words to express his love for me. When I graduated from Tennessee State University, he dedicated a writing to me in his weekly column. When I earned a doctorate, which is the day that I believe probably made him the most proud of me, he came to my house with a letter. And he told me that he knew that the dissertation committee thought that they had granted me the rights to be called a doctor. But it was not official until he came over and made it so. Because as we know, my dad was quick to tell you he was running the show. But in his letter to me, he wrote, from what I have observed, you have all of the intellect, skills, compassion, and dedication to continue providing the highest level of educational opportunities for those young people at our rate. He went on to write, always remember that we use these credentials that we obtain to not only further our individual career objectives, but to aid in the upliftment of our people. That's exactly what I plan to do in his honor, aid and uplift the people. Of all of the compliments that my dad ever gave me, I think the day that he called me up and he said, Feeny, I want you to know that I think that you are a dynamic administrator in your own right but I really think that you are a really amazing mother. I'm proud of you. Those are the words that will forever stay etched in my mind. I guess I never realized that he even took notice to these things, but that's how my dad was. He was very observant and he took notice to everything. And he, was, he would act like he wasn't paying you any attention. But then he would call up people all around the world and brag on you. I would bump into people that I didn't even know. But they would say that my dad told them stories about me and about my sisters. And they would ask questions like, now are you a dancer? Are you the one that plays basketball? And I would say, no, I'm just the one. Oh, we know your dad told us all about you. He didn't mind bragging about his children and grandchildren to anyone who gave him two seconds of time. As we approached the final chapter of his life, he and I spent a lot of time talking about a lot of things. But one thing that I know for sure is that my dad loved his people. My dad loved black people. He loved his family. Right. He loved to leave them. Yes. He loved the community. Yes. He loved sports. My dad believed in education. And my dad expected me to continue to be an educational leader and trailblazer. And without a doubt, he would want me to continue to fight the good fight for children. And dad, I won't let you down. 
The community depended on you for over 50 years, and I believe that you're now passing a torch to me to continue to educate and enlighten young people. But most of all, my dad will want me to stay in the struggle for our people. The world needs warriors like Dr. Conrad Warren. So dad, I promise you that I, Feeny Sophia, Warrior Skanks, will continue to serve as a warrior for our people. And last, but certainly not least, my dad loved his alma mater, High Park High School. In honor, in his honor, I promise to personally give a scholarship to a graduating senior at High Park High School every single year, starting with the graduating class of 2020. Dad, you fought the good fight. You finished the race strong. And now you have taken your rightful place with all of the ancestors who go before you. Until we meet again, I love you, Dad. I say, so yeah, yeah, very powerful. The fruit don't fall far from the tree, they say, right? I thought that was a good, absolutely, yeah, good um, foundation to get us started. And you know, just and I really, I may not say this in the deduction, but you know, Comrade Worrell, the reason we're talking about him is because he made not just a profound contribution to people of African descent, but specifically to the reparations movement specifically. And so those are some of the things that we're going to focus on and unpack um, in this show today. Um, one of the things that um, we know that he was a lifetime member of INCOBRA, but also just like I said, I think he really epitomized that, that term scholar activist as well as a strategist, organizer, black nationalist, pan-Africanist husband, father, grandfather, freedom fighter, and Jedna. And um, so what are you inspired to share with us as we get started on the journey with Comrade World, um, Dr. Wimbush? Well, I, I think, you know, as I was listening to his daughter, you know, the word that kept coming to my mind was Jedna. Uh, Jedna, okay. It, it's, and you just said it again. And I mean, you know, Jegna is someone who loves their community, uh, knows their community, and was willing to die for their community. And, you know, I always, Conrad and I used to talk about that a lot, that there aren't that many Jegnas left nowadays. A Jegna is not necessarily somebody who gets on TV and all of that, but it's a person who really is committed, I mean, soulfully committed. To every aspect of their community. I, I remember um, in 1999, I believe it was, it was 99, um, I was teaching at Fish University. And even though Conrad and I had met each other 30 years prior to that in Chicago, we didn't really develop our friendship really. You know, our common friend was Bobby Wright. And I was so worried. Uh, and who was at the University of Chicago. And I was so worried about getting through the University of Chicago. If it hadn't been for Bobby, I would have never made it through the statistics class. But 
Bobby and Easter, uh, those were our common friends. And that's how I met Conrad. But we really didn't get tight until like 99, which is, you know, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. And that's when I, when I was at this, I said, we need a conference on reparations outside of Atlanta. And so I pulled together a conference uh, about reparations, a two-day conference. Uh, John Conyers was there. Uh, this guy that used to write for uh, Ellis Cove from Newsweek was there. Randall Robinson came. And Conrad came. And I invited Conrad down to the uh, meeting. It was a big meeting. We got a lot of coverage and stuff. And at the meeting, I got up and said, the problem with the reparations, Randall had just published his book, The Death. And I got up and said, we need another book that documents the history of the struggle, you know, because Randall's book, a great book, don't get me wrong, it was more of an essay. And so I said, we need a book that we can use almost like a Bible for just to pick up. So Conrad jumped up in his own inimitable way and said, well, Ray, you need to write the book. <laughs> and, he, and he yelled it out at the conference. And I knew I couldn't write a book just by myself. So what I did with all the scholars that were there and the activists that were there, I asked each of them to turn in, you know, a chapter, to turn their book into a chapter. And I called Conrad. I remember I was in Switzerland. And I called Conrad and said, look, man, you challenged me to get this book together. I'm getting it together. He said, you going to really do the book? And I said, yeah. And so I asked him <laughs> to write a chapter along with Baba Hannibal Afri, <laughs> as well as uh, Dorothy Benton Lewis, you know, and Sophia Elijah, an attorney. And it's it's amazing that three of them have been, are now with the ancestors. And that became what is now, you know, should America pay? And mm. A lot of people have called it the Bible, the reparation struggle, but had not Conrad challenged me, because I was going to try to get somebody else. If he had not challenged me in front of that big crowd, you need to write it. I don't know if it would have ever been born. Um, and so that's how that book, which is still, I'm amazed that after 20 years, that book is still widely read by so many people. You know, it's not a month past that I get something about an email or something about that book. But that's how the book was born. And then Conrad, between Should America Pay and my next book about reparations, Belinda's Petition, Conrad and I used to discuss back and forth all the time, you know, stages of the reparation struggle, like, you know, how it was, conceived, the, the phases of it. And so uh, I put together Belinda's petition, and I put together the five stages that Conrad and I kind of hammered out in that book. So you see Conrad's hand in both of those books. Uh, we wanted a smaller book than Should America Pay, because a lot of folks that read that book is too hard to read, and it wasn't too hard to read. You studied Should America Pay and you read Belinda's petition. And as a result of that, uh, those five stages 
gave birth to us like a conceptual framework for understanding the history of reparations. Conrad and I worked on, uh, just a few years ago, we worked on a timeline for the reparations struggle that we would be updating, and we put that out. So he was singularly responsible. I mean, there were a lot of efforts, of course, and and people who contributed, but he inspired me to really put those books together. Um, and, 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 do, and during all of that, we would argue and we would fuss and fight, <laughs> but we always loved each other. And I mean, I heard that when, when his daughter just, you know, had mm-hmm. said in his homecoming mm-hmm. that you would, you couldn't, Conrad knew everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think one of his final contributions, which very few people know about, there's a film coming out about Fred Hampton um, in a couple of weeks, a couple of months probably, uh, called Black Judas, you know, and the Black Jesus. I forget, Sh- uh, Shaka King. And Shaka and uh, uh, what's his name, the guy that produced or is producing uh, uh, the Black Panther, uh, Ryland Coogler, we met in Chicago about two years ago. And we sat out with Shaka King, the director of this upcoming film, about Fred Hampton, uh, and Conrad just was sitting there talking about his experiences with uh, uh, Fred Hampton, driving him around, because as you know, he was accused of robbing an ice cream truck, which was a ridiculous trumped-up charge by the FBI. And at that time, you got uh, Edward Hanrahan, who was state's attorney, and he laid that all out for Shaka King. And, a, you know, a few weeks ago, I called Shaka to tell him that Conrad had made his transition. He was really sorry to hear that. I mean, deeply sorry, because much of the material for that upcoming film is based on the information that they got from Conrad. So even in his in the realm of the ancestors, Conrad continues to contribute to, you know, us understanding Africans in America, as well as uh, the whole struggle for reparations. And I'm, I'm thankful that he was a part of my life uh, and, and for a long time. And uh, I still miss him very much, uh, especially when I need the absolute unvarnished no political truth about anything. That's who I would turn to with Conrad because he'd give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 what I you know, miss a lot about him. So that's it. I know right, one I'm other sure. thing about a week before his uh I have been telling Conrad for years, you gotta write your autobiography. You I said you inspire me to write, but you gotta write your autobiography. So he handed me about 80 pages of his uh, autobiography. And uh, and hopefully that book will be turned. I'm going to talk to the family. I wanted them to get through their uh, mourning period, but about turning it into a book some, with a title, something like Conrad Will's Book of Organizing. And I would also like to say Conrad contributed to a chapter. In fact, he has the introduction introductory chapter uh, to 
you know, my latest book on Dr. Francis Cress Welding because they knew each other so long. And he wrote the overview of her life about, you know, the Crest family in Chicago and their contributions going back two or three generations. So it's, again, how Conrad, even now, is still contributing to the knowledge of our people. And like his daughter said, the one thing you that was indisputable, Conrad loved black folks. He loved them with a passion that I have rarely seen in among us. I mean, there was never a doubt about that. He was he loved us. He was critical of us when we need to be needed to be criticized. But he loved us with a passion that I wish we could all possess. Wow, it's so true. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Wimbush. You can just hang on the line. We might bring you back in. We'll see who else we got on the call. We had him. What's up? Um, this is Molly. Hey, Molly. How you doing? What's up, Dr. Wimbush? How you doing, brother? We need to talk when we have a chance to. Yeah. All right. All right. And um, what about um, um, Dr. Ava Carruthers? Yes. Can you hear me? Oh, hey, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. hi. Great. Welcome, hey, my welcome, welcome. Hey. All right. Well, let's let's um let's break this up with just hearing uh, some words about him, and then we can talk about some of these significant um parts of the reparations movement that he contributed to the Millions for Reparations March, the World Conference Against Racism, Durban 400, the Indaba. The We Charge Genocide and Cobra Convention. Actually, Cam's supposed to be on, too. You on, Brother Cam? Brother Cam's supposed to be on, on too, the National Mail Co-Chair of Cobra. But let's play, I don't know. Can you hear um, me? Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Now. yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been okay. on since uh, the beginning of the show. But, uh, greetings, everyone. Oh. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Okay, we got a full house now. I feel yeah. a lot better. All right, all right, all right. Let's do um, let's do clip number four. Uh, reparations. People. So one of. I'm going to get ready to slide off of this, Brother Omawali, but I want to say that the victories in the reparations movement organization, Mm -hmm. as Sister Mm -hmm. Marjorie pointed out, INCOVER is a coalitional organization. So I'm a lifetime member, but I was in another organization that worked with INCOVER. And so on the way to Durban, we worked with another organization, the December 12th movement out of Brooklyn, New York which helped organize what we call the Durban 400, where almost 400 brothers and sisters went to the UN World Conference. And many in COBRA members were a part of that effort. And when we returned, even after 9-11, we had the first major national reparations rally in Washington, D.C., called the Millions for Reparations Rally, where more than 50,000 of our people attended from 67 cities and 34 states. And following right. that, and following that, we're talking about organizing. We reached out to Minister Farrakhan, and 
he convened a meeting along with myself and many in Cobra leadership, the Mario Obadelli, Hannibal Lafrique, uh, Miss Arepo, who was a local chair here in Chicago, and Minister Farrakhan convened a meeting in Chicago July 26, 2003, while almost every reparation activist and organizer in the country was in the room. And out of that, Dr. Ron Walters submitted a paper, God bless him, he's now an ancestor, one of our great political scientists, and he, he, it was a concept paper we all need to go back and read, given the climate now, called Unity in the African Reparations Movement in the United States. And he coined a concept that he had gotten out of South Africa called the Indaba, the big sit-down. So Minister Farrakhan used a considerable resources and organizing strength of the Nation of Islam. And we went to Jackson, Mississippi. We went to Houston, Texas. We went to Atlanta, Georgia, and Baltimore. And thousands and thousands of our people across the country were educated on the idea of reparation. So I just wanted to kind of point that out, not to mention what Mazariki was talking about in the slavery era ordinances that were put in by in local cities across the country, not to mention the lawsuit that was initiated by Deidre Farmer Pellman uh, going up against major corporations that had tied to slavery in, in which it was a federal lawsuit that was consolidated in federal court here in Chicago for over two years, we packed the courtroom to, under Judge Norgo in this in this city every time there was a hearing, and they had uh, almost 100 lawyers, and we had two or three volunteers, Roger Wareham, Lionel Jean Baptiste, uh, Andre Grant. So the history of this fight uh, really needs to be understood by the next generation to carry it on so we don't have this pop-up activity with no legs, no history, no grounding in this continued battle for uh, uh, reparations uh, in this country. So I'm going to sign off. No, 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 one thing. Don't sign off. One thing. I want to ask you one last question before you sign off. Just one last question. So the, before you sign off, Dr. Conrad, I just want to ask you, uh, how important uh, is the intergenerational transfer of knowledge to the continuity of struggle? It's extremely important. It, uh, it, it's 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 at the core of what needs to happen from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. It, it, the transfer of information and knowledge about previous efforts are the key to our continuation for the young organizers who uh, have are involved in this current phase of the reparations movement. And I know that you promoted this uh, conversation this evening, and I want to thank you, and I hope I didn't dominate the conversation, but I noted that you said that we were going to discuss reparations and Pan-Africanism. So on my way out the door, because Brother Ari, my partner, my new partner, can take over because he was trying to get me straight and he didn't get straight. So let me just say this. Pan-Africanism is the belief that people of African ancestry throughout the world have the same racial and cultural characteristics and the same social 
and economic conditions as a result of our African origin. So I appreciate you all. Uh, Y'all are wearing me out, and I love you. And I got to get a little rest. Uh, As we say, uh, the struggle continues and black power. Black power. So, yeah, that excerpt, and he he talked about a lot of things. So, again, we can just, um, whatever particular area that you want to speak about that he referenced or something else you want to reference around Conrad's walls working around reparations. But I want to bring in, I think, Brother Miley. um, But first of all, let me just reference that video clip comes from, um, you can find it on YouTube at Encobra Speaks. Uh, and Cobra Speaks Reparations, Peoplehood, and New Revisions to H.R. 40. I know Cam remembers that piece very well. It's actually a three-hour um, video where uh, Cobra was somewhat dealing, addressing with some of the, addressing some of the challenges that we were getting from um, Ados movement. And so it's really a, uh, it's really a really strong piece to hear in Cobra's voice, and and Conrad's contribution to that piece was very um, vital. And so I know Brother Miley, um, Conrad's been like a mentor to you, a father, a big oh, uh, yeah. uncle. And My. so, and, and so um, yeah, I know you have a lot of rich stories to share. And specifically, I'll as we quick. even organized some conventions in Atlanta, I was looking at those. And we had to figure out how to get some of those on YouTube when we had the convention in the, uh, at Georgia State where Conrad right. spoke and Bobby Hannibal and so many others were there at that convention, at, those, at that conference that we had at yeah. Georgia State um, Student Conference. But anyway, go ahead, brother. Um, uh, we have Molly Davis, active as attorney out of Chicago, now here in Atlanta, doing some great work organizing, um, keeping the tradition of uh, Tropi Lumumba and other lawyer activists moving forward in social justice movement. And we just thank you for um, taking some time to share with us about uh, Comrade Worrell and reparations. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, and and um, greetings um, to to my elders, all of my elders who are on the on the line. Um, I'll be quick. Um, Baba Conrad was for me um, my political father in the movement. He uh, he and Dr. Anderson Thompson um, embraced me, brought me into the African Centered Education movement um, when I was 23 years old. And um, I've been organizing for the last consistently for the last 28 years as a result of of having them both um, embrace me, encourage me, educate me, teach me, um, and just really uh, direct my work. So I was a law student at Georgia State College of Law when he dropped the reparations movement on me. He said, brother. You, you got to get involved with the reparations movement, you know, and I'm not doing a good imitation. Most, uh, Toriano uh, is the best at imitating him. He, you know, nobody can imitate him like Toriano. Um, but he's just like, you got to get involved. And so I was at a, I was at a conference, a Southern regional black law students conference. And he said, brother, you have to uh, get a reparations committee started. Because y'all in the southern region, that's a region, you know, where where reparations uh, commission or committee should start up. So he literally dictates to me. I'm on the on the hotel phone. He dictates to me the resolution. I handwrite the resolution. I submit the resolution. It's adopted. So we established the first ever reparations commission for any black law students association in the country 
based on him dictating the whole thing. Then from there, the next year, we establish it as a national commission. Um, we then bring, as you said, Brother Jamal, okay, when Mama, Mama and Jerry was alive, we had um, Mama uh, Fulani Sumi Ali involved, Baba Asa Hilliard, Mamemba Ani, um, Ajua Tora. Everybody came to Georgia State College of Law. And Claude that was Anderson. when they, Claude Anderson, they thought we were crazy. You know, um, <laughs> Cynthia McKinney, they thought that we, they were like, reparations, what are y'all doing? You know, they're about to kick me out of law school. But he came through because uh, what, what was supposed to happen was we tried to get him to come. And his flight, he missed his flight. He was flying AirTran back when AirTran was flying. He misses his flight. It was too delayed, so we put him on a speakerphone. And we sat in the president of Georgia State's conference room, and he spoke mm-hmm. to law students, community members, as well as um, as well as some of the law professors. Out of that, that became the rep. He's still there. Okay, we're losing the sound. Hmm. Okay, well let's um, let's come back to him. Mama, Reverend Doctor Iva Carruthers. Hello. How are you? Yes. How I'm are good. you? I'm good. How's everyone yeah. this evening? It's fine. Good to hear you, Ray. Good to hear you too, Ray. Yeah, so we know you being in Chicago also have a rich history with Baba Conrad Worrell um, and working in reparations front. I know you've done a lot of work around the church community, specifically in faith-based community and, and getting them more on board and creating curriculums and things like that with um Samuel DeWitt Proctor Conference and other formations that you are part of. So what would you like to bring in on this conversation around Comrade World and the reparations movement? Well, I think there are a couple of intersections I would like to lift up. Um, one has to do with the conversation we had about transgenerational transmission of information and knowledge and most of all wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, the other piece was the the way in which Femi framed the spirit and the soul of her father, mm. and then obviously how that connects to the way in which Conrad moved through the world, organizing and orchestrating and ultimately charting new pathways for others. I met Conrad; it was 48 years ago. Wow. Um, 1972, and I had finished my PhD. I was doing my postdoc at the University of Chicago, and he had just finished his. And um, we instantly, he came by my office, and we instantly bonded. And uh, he was at the University of Wisconsin finishing up. And fast forward, um, I introduced him to Jake and suggested that that was the kind of young scholar that needed to come to the Center for Inner City Studies. And um, Jake ended up hiring him um, as a newly mentor. 
That was Jacob Carruthers, mm-hmm, who I was married to at the time. And Jake ended up hiring Conrad. And first thing I really loved and respected about Conrad was his discernment about who he should spend time with in order to learn um, and to do the kinds of things that would contribute to his growth and to do that in such a respectful way. And so his incubation period with the community and under Andy Thompson, you've just spoken about, and Bobby Wright and, and Harold Pates and Jake Carruthers, et cetera, was very instrumental in the Conrad that evolved. And it, it was indeed an evolution. But there's this whole spiritual, soulful force of intergenerational passing on of the knowledge that if you knew Conrad, you had to also know his father and the role that his father played in his life um, as a role model. And that's a side that many people never got to really see about Conrad, but it made him the whole person that he was that would uh, be able to frame reparatory justice, not just in terms of um, at the intellectual level, but what it meant to create healing spaces and what it meant to create spaces that uh, molded the next generation for leadership and what it meant to reach out um, and beyond oneself because he loved the people. And it was that kind of love that, you know, catapulted him wherever he went um, to a certain kind of position of authority in terms of his own wisdom. Um, So it's very personal for me. Um, One of the um, things I will forever be grateful for Conrad was, and this is a part again that, you know, Femi was touching upon and um, Conrad knew my first husband who drowned at the age of 27. I had 11 month old son. And when Conrad found out who my first husband was, they had played against one another in basketball. So Conrad took it upon himself for the rest of his life to make sure that my son knew about his father, including orchestrating, you know, 25 years later, a um, uh, a reunion of all the brothers who had played with his father so that he would get a chance to meet those men. Hmm. Um, That's the soft side of Conrad that most people don't know. Hmm. Um, But to this very day, I owe a a great debt of gratitude to him for always making those connections at the, not just the intellectual level and the organizing um, level, but also at a very deeply personal level in terms of, of who Conrad was and how he touched people. Um, so many of those historic points in time, those transformational moments, um, I shared them with with him in a very special way, um, including us being in Durban together. And I was there as a delegate, actually, um, not as a part officially of the uh, Durban 400, but as a delegate representing an organization. And we snuck away to go visit 
our colleague, Thomasine Satoli, who was the grandfather of all of the expatriates from South Africa. We went to his family's um, home in order to spend the evening uh, with them. And to see how Conrad could navigate all of that environment globally um, was nothing less of what you've seen about Conrad. That's just who he is, how he did it, and he was always the same. And um, he will forever be beloved. He has, he has done what he was called to do, I believe. And I think that that last piece you just played um, was the powerful testimony to connecting reparations to Pan-Africanism and us understanding that unless we're willing to reclaim our identity and to, in fact, have an endaba that allows us to come out of it with a unified voice and commitment to Pan-Africanism, we will never be healed. And so I think that um, that message that you played is a, is a significant piece that requires us to engage in a, in a kind of Sankofa uh, methodology of going back in order to get what we need to know in order to move forward. And uh, Ray mentioned Bobby Wright, and Bobby is with us so much today as we struggle with the consequential damage and trauma from the multi-generations of the impact of the transatlantic slave trade upon our people. And Bobby gave us this construct of menticide that I think we need to take seriously and embrace as we quest for our Pan-African identity. And so all of that connects to the legacy that Conrad left us and a legacy that he modeled by the way he lived consistently Um, and the way he died. He showed us a lot about death and dying as well. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. And he is ever present with me. Thank you so much, Mama, for that yeah, I, I, I don't know um, if Brother Molly, you back on? Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mama Ivan, for that. That was that's awful testimony, and 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 I'll I'll be um be brief. So I'd love to hear from Brother Cam and everyone else. But Conrad knew my father um, from high school. He. My father was a high school basketball, and Conrad had a way of connecting everything back to basketball and back mm-hmm. to sports. And he knew my father. My father was a high school basketball star who went on to Tennessee State and um, then ultimately to the Globetrotters. And mm-hmm. uh, he saw me in Philadelphia, and we were – I'd come up to him and told him that I was, you know, trying to get involved in the movement. And as I walked away – he said, hey, come here, man. You you Mel Davis' son. You walk just like your daddy. Come here. And that began, that began our relationship, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just loved him, continue to love him. Uh, he impacts me every day. 
I think about them all the time um, when I, as I make decisions because as as Brother Ray said, he he had a way of being really our um, our Pan African Black Nationalist consciousness. You know, um, Dr. Thompson wrote a piece about the African principle, and essentially, is this is is this in the best interest of the greatest number of African people? And Conrad lived that. He lived That's the right. African principle. He he, you you constantly had to evaluate whether the decisions you were making were in the best interest of the greatest number of African people. And he forced you to do that when 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 you when you needed that kind of a mirror to your face. Um, and so as far as the reparations movement goes, he just, um, you know, I, I was in Durban. I was a part of the Durban 400. I, we organized the Atlanta August 17th for the, um, for the millions for reparations. Then I was at the Adabas. Um, we organized the Adaba in Atlanta. Um, but we were in Mississippi, um, in Baltimore, you know, yeah. so he, 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 you know, was my guide in, in this work, and so I'm I am his student, um, his political son, and and think on a daily basis if what I'm doing would be um, something that he would approve of, and and that guides us. And he was uh, oddly enough, he was also Jane Jane and I's marriage counselor. <laughs> So um, my, my wife, Jen, and I, we've been married 25 years, and he would tell me in a heartbeat, brother, don't do that. I made that same mistake about 20, 27, 28 years ago. That ain't what you need to do. You know, be quiet and listen to Jen. Shut up. <laughs> Sit down somewhere. So um, so I still hear his voice. I still hear his voice. Um, and, and I'm just looking forward to – uh, our our continued effort in the reparations movement because I know that that for him was a key part of his his legacy and his work was for us to keep that fight going. So, um, you know, I, I, I'll be quiet now and listen, but I, I'm just so grateful, Jamoke, to be included in this conversation, and uh, and so grateful that you would lift him lift him up as one of our uh, reparations. Um, Scholars and, and and really one of our, our reparations. Uh, I don't know if icon is the right word, but you know when you think of reparations, Ray Jenkins and Mario Badelli and Queen Dorothy and Queen Mother Moore. I think Conrad has earned the right to be mentioned in that same uh, breast with all those who gave their lives for this movement, um, gave their their talents and gifts and scholarship, and he did love black people so deeply um even when 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 black folk disappoint us he just had a way of continuing to love and that's the beauty and that's the greatest lesson i think that i i learned was um how we have to continue to love our people even when um our people don't always love us back mm-hmm. well, thank you um really appreciate your contribution and um, that sharing thank you um, and also, when you got cut off, I, I, I don't know where you know you know when you got cut off, but you were basically telling the story. And it's funny; I was just watching the video earlier today, where um, after after the, wasn't able to bring him because of the conflict with the problem with Airtran. I mean, you all still had a ticket left, 
So then the exactly. idea was let's bring him back to Atlanta at a later date where he could and use that that money from that ticket. And and what ended up being just bringing him back ended up being a full full on um, conference, three day conference at Georgia State University in in conjunction right. with in Cobra and Black Law Student Association. But um, he gave, I know you've been on for a while. The, Go ahead, sorry, he ahead. gave us the list. He gave us the list of the folks that we needed to invite. Remember, right. so you got to have so and so. So we had we had Baba AC Hill, Marim Biden, yeah, it was I I Biden, Robert Wesley, Ijoy Bobby Hannibal, I think. My, uh, um, and a lot of and and I. Uh oh. <laughs> All right. He went out again. Um, I know you've been very patient, Brother Cam, but you get to bring the icing on the cake. Also, <laughs> Chicago activist, <laughs> the hometown yeah, well, of us. Yeah, I was a lot, brother, and I was just sitting back enjoying all the, hearing all the things that had been said previously. Uh, unlike everyone who's spoken, Dr. Well and I, uh, we didn't hit it off very well initially. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was honored, you know, to be the one closest to him his last, in the movement, the one closest to him his last weeks uh, on this plane. And it was it was an honor uh, being there when certain people called him and how humble he was to get calls from Minister Farrakhan and Maali and, you know, just everybody, Jesse Jackson, you know, just, just you know, seeing him at that stage of his life that type of person he was, it was, it was really uh, humbling for me. But, you know, uh, when I first joined in COBRA, um, it was in 2006, all the heyday of reparations had really been had passed at that time. And uh, I think in 2008, I was appointed to be the Legislative Commission Chair. And I came back to Chicago fired up, and I wanted to talk with, uh, you know, some of the elders uh, talked with Dr. Anderson Thompson, and he gave me, you know, as much time as I wanted. Talked to Bob Starks, Dr. Starks, uh, at the mm -hmm. Center for Studies. Tried to talk to Dr. Well. Saw him in the hallway. He just brushed me off, man. Reparation <laughs> And I would go to all of these events at the community at the Center for Interdisciplinary Studies, and I'm being fresh. I'm fresh in the reparations movement. I'm fired up. So every time I got a chance to get on the mic, I'm hollering reparations, and he would always shoot me down. Like, man, get out of here, man. Who are you? Don't nobody know who you are. Get away from here, man. Whenever I said on the, on the mic, he would always have a rebuttal to kind of, like, minimize it. So I just, you know, continued to do what I was doing. And, and there was an elder who witnessed this in Chicago. He witnessed this, what was going on, and he wrote a letter to a group of elders in the, in the, in, in the city and said, Dr. Conrad Well, we brought this young brother to the reparations movement, and he's disrespecting this young brother. And I didn't know anything about this letter. So the next thing I know, I get a call from Dr. Well, come to his office. I came to his office, and he said, man, I'm, I apologize. You know, hmm. I just don't know who, I didn't know who you were, where you came from. You disappeared all of a sudden. Then he began to ask me all about myself. And from that point on, he began to mentor me in the reparations movement, as if none of that had even happened. And in our in in our uh, symposium, first symposium on the reparations um, commission here in Chicago, we had at, at uh, Malcolm X Community College, and it was at that public event we had, had uh, he had invited uh, Charles Barron, uh, Congress State Assemblyman Charles Barron, um, 
our brother Roger Wareham, uh, uh, Dr. Ray Winbush, and others to that forum, and he publicly passed the torch in the city of Chicago, reparation torch in the city of Chicago to me, and yeah. that, was, that was really humbling as well. And so and at that time, I don't think any of us knew he was sick. I think some of you know, his personal friends knew, but I certainly didn't know he was sick. And he didn't appear to be sick at that particular time. And I think that was in probably in November. Uh, November. Was that in November? It was in November of uh, 2019. Right. So, right. you know, months later, seven months later, he would make his transition. So we didn't know, but he publicly, uh, Dr. Wimbush, you may recall that, he passed the torch over to me. And, you know, and, you know, um, I've tried to, you know, live up to that. I just took it as, you know, yeah, Dr. Will's going to be around. I, we'll see how that plays out, you know, knowing how big his, uh, his, his, his stamina, his, uh, his essence is. You know, I would always be second and we're in the same room. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't take too much uh, to heart with that statement. But as uh, once we found out he was sick, I began to really see that, I was being pushed in that in that position, and that uh, man, that was some pretty huge shoes to fill. And you know, he transitioned on the third, and on June fourth, uh, we we had a hearing on the Chicago Reparations Commission with as the uh, City Council uh, Subcommittee uh, on Health and Human Relations, and we pre presented testimony uh, uh, around the issues of genocide, plunder, and apartheid in the city of Chicago. And we got a unanimous vote by the subcommittee, but then the mayor did a move. I mean, that's classic Chicago underhanded politics. And I was like, where's Dr. Rell, Rell so I can, you know, find out what to do, what should be our response? And so we immediately, immediately missed his presence uh, here in the mm -hmm. city and the operations movement. And, and as this is playing out, I mean, it, it's just, you know, it's remarkable about uh, uh, a remarkable loss to see that we don't have to know that we don't have I don't have him to say Doc, this is what's going on you know these people you know you've seen these type of maneuvers before what you know what what should be the plan of action and so you know I find myself uh, feeling somewhat uh, inadequate if I have to live up to his shoes you know so I'm just saying well I'm just me I'm not Dr. Will I'm Trying to live up their shoes and just do the best I can in the movement, but certainly his his presence is missed. And one of the things we did in, in Chicago, and most people don't know because we haven't really had a, a public event since then, is that uh, Alderman Rod Sawyer, who's the alderman who pushed the Chicago Reparations Commission, uh, mm -hmm. we got a, a city subcommittee, but we're organizing a community reparations commission. And uh, Alderman Sawyer suggested, and we accepted those of us who were in the planning stage, uh, we accepted that we would name our Community Reparations Commission after Conrad World. So we have the Conrad World Chicago Community Reparations Commission that will work hand in hand with the That's Chicago Reparations Committee. So he's going to be living on in the reparations movement in Chicago, and you know, and as we do what we do, deliver, we repair. People will know um, that you know the the, the the structure, the energy. It's coming out of a, a, a body that was named in his honor. So that's you know, great. Yeah. Good thanks. Uh -huh. Good thanks. 
Wow, wow. We've had a thank you, thank you, Cam. I didn't know that that earlier part of history with you and Conrad was kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, thank you for sharing that transparency. You know, um, this we have an hour and we've used up the whole hour. It's gone by so fast. Wow. Um, I um I don't know maybe we need to we could come back and do a part two or something but I mean everybody's sharing was so strong and and um and you know I, I had all of these videos I always have online of just in case I have to fill up some time but <laughs> we didn't really have to do that just a couple just hear his voice and hear his daughter's words to set the tone um yeah. wow so. Um, I don't know. Are you back, Miles? You got cut off one more again. I'm here. Can you hear me? We hear you. All right. I, man, this was powerful. This was very powerful. I, I'm just so thankful, um, Jamoke, that you have uh, you've been so consistent of all these years on 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 the reparations issue um, for our people, and I'm so glad that you lifted um, Baba Conrad up today um, and, and it just it means so much. It's healing. I actually just texted uh, Mama Taliba saying, I got to call you tomorrow. I did just part of a wonderful conversation about Baba Conrad, and I'm going to reach the Femi tomorrow as well, um, just because it's, I feel him. I feel him. And I'm so thankful to hear um, from Mama Iva and, and Brother Ray and, and Brother Cam. Um, just a powerful, powerful uh, remembrance of the energy and, and the energy is, is alive and it, and it continues to exist just on the ancestor realm. So we know that mm-hmm. um, he's not physically here, but we, he's still pushing us. He's still correcting us. He's still guiding us. And we just got to tap yeah. into that energy yeah. and press straight ahead. So I give thanks. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Mama Ivan and every, everyone. All right, sure. Anybody else have a closing one minute word of wisdom or sharing that you want to get in before we close out. Brother Ray, Dr. Ray Wimbush. You know, I just want to say that, you know, while I was listening to everybody, it was just running through my head how much Conrad did in his life. And, you know, I hope that we can all just take, do half of what he did. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I didn't know some of the things that were said tonight. I knew some of them, but it's just amazing how much he accomplished in his life and the influence that he's had, not only on us, but the entire Pan-African world. So, again, I think we should, you know, in years to come, I think that his name is going to be in the Hall of Ancestors, like so many of us, you know, uh, you know, the people that we honor today, even though they passed. Great. Yes. And, and, and there's so much that we didn't touch on. We mainly kind of talked about yeah. how he impacted our lives, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or you all lives, um, the guests on the show. But um, there's so much that we didn't even talk about, you know, in terms of being a professor and, this, and, and African education and so many other things that he made a contribution as well. But that is a true point. Thank you, Doctor um, But I hear your voice, Mama Iva. I think you you have feeling that you want to say a few more words. 
Well, I, I do want to just uh, celebrate and note that when he came back from um, South Africa, uh, one of the things that we did was work with Attorney Lionel um, Baptiste and um, put forth a, a resolution for adoption of H.R. 40 in Evanston and um, worked with him in that court case and filled up the courts um, as the case came in this district, the federal courts. Uh, and as it turned out, my understanding that Lori Lightfoot was the attorney who represented the other side for the demand for oh. reparation. Oh my so now God. you fast forward to to where we are today, and Evanston is is at the center of a uh, manifestation of the demand for reparations in a way mm. that I think uh, pushes us to another level towards victory. And mm. um, Conrad's hand is all in that in so many ways um, that represents the kind of continuity and tenacity of vision, of effort, and of um, belief that we will be free. And so I've enjoyed this conversation and the way in which we have remembered him um, and will forever remember him and tell our children's children about the work of Dr. Conrad Borrell. Yeah. Okay. And Tammy, you want to have the last word on this as we close out? Uh, you know, uh, uh, about three or four years ago, we did a uh, reparations awareness day event, and I wanted to focus on the members in Chicago who had uh, went to Durban because I had um, it was about six years ago. I had wrote a piece that, you know, saying how the Durban conference, you know, has changed the direction of African people globally. Um, we're um, we're all speaking the same language, that slavery is a crime against humanity. We're not looking at it as a moral issue anymore. We're looking at it as a criminal issue. And how the collective work of those, you know, 400 and others, like I, who went, out, went there, you know, they are the true heroes and sheroes that we should be raising up. And so when we put on that program, we invited Dr. Worrell to, to come. And again, it showed a side of his humility because he didn't know that anyone knew how great of a work that was. And then to be able to, you know, sit there as we were, we were telling that story. And, you know, it was just a powerful uh, Testament. You know, we know that that brother had a huge ego. Uh, Baba had a huge ego, but, you know, at times he was truly a humble person. And, uh, yeah. All righty. Thank you, um, Brother Cam, National Mail Co-Chair of Incobra, Chicago, in, uh, based out of Chicago. We, um, you've been listening to Conversation Reparations, um, brought to you by INCOBRA, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. Uh, my name is Jumoke Fetayo, as a facilitator of this show. We bring this show every first and third Monday of the month. Uh, we are, this show is in honor of Dr. Conrad Worrell. We had Dr. Raymond Winbush as a guest. We had Attorney Miley Davis as a guest. We had um, Dr. Ivor Carruthers as a guest. And 
Brother Cam Howard as our guest. And um, so we thank you for listening to the show. You can find out more about Encobra by going to our website at encobraonline.org. That's encobraonline.org. You can reach me directly at reparationsj at gmail.com. It's reparationsj at gmail.com. And um, reparations now. Reparations now. Now. Reparations now. I thought you knew. Only credit they'll get from me is an IOU. And I don't care about no damn quotas. Just give me what you owe for. Force to take it back like Sam Cole. No, we won't renounce the debt. America bounced the check. And no, it ain't all about 